You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the 602 Club. And I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, coming at you from the Upside Down. And I do not like this place, so let's hurry up and get out of here. With me, as always, Christy Morris. To make this the most metal podcast ever. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's absolutely going to be that. So, well, I'm excited because uh, we are here to talk about the second part of season four that came out here for Stranger Things and not the finale of the series, uh, just the ramp up now to season five. So uh, before we get there, just a huge thank you to all you that are listening. We really appreciate it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love for you to subscribe wherever that is uh, so you get the podcast as soon as it drops. Of course, you can also find us on social media, especially Twitter, at The 602 Club, and on Instagram, at The 602 Club TFM. We would love it if you would follow us there and interact with us there. We love talking to people. You can also, of course, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trackfm, and there is a listeners-only discussion group we have for listeners all over the world where everybody can talk about all of the shows happening here on Trek FM called the Babel Conference. And then you can also find us online at trek.fm to see all of the different shows that we are doing and, of course, different ways to contact us there through email and, and such. Um, and last but not least, we would appreciate it if you would go to Patreon patreon.com slash trek fm and become part of our team uh you'll notice we don't have ads on our shows and um, all those type of things and if you want to keep it that way uh it's a really expensive to do this uh without supporters just like you so go to patreon.com slash trek fm well chrissy with stranger things four part two we legitimately just pick right up where we left off uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Nancy having been snatched. Um, and then, you know, her getting kind of the the vision of the future of Hawkins just being torn apart. Um, and, of course, we have complete confirmation then of what Venkna's plans are as well. And so how did you feel um, with this? Were you glad that this basically just felt like a complete continuation of the first part of season four? Um, or were you kind of hoping that things would feel like, no, this is specifically volume two? Um, no, I I think that it was a good idea to have it pick up so seamlessly in the place where we left off because then it really feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, shows that we've known for a long time would do cliffhangers like this where they'd leave you on a to be continued and then. You're stuck waiting forever to see the next part. Um, I think that it was a good way to play it. And, you know, initially as well, you're not sure until you get to the end of the seventh episode that there's going to be a part two. 
you know, unless you had seen the announcement or anything of the, the date of part two coming out. Um, so it, it is a cool way to keep people eating out of the palm of your hand. Yeah. I thought that it felt right in the sense that this is really one season, mm-hmm. you know, it really has just been split up and it was done uh, in two parts. And I think in many of the ways to kind of combat some of the things that um, we talked about uh, that, that, you know, Netflix itself has struggled with, with its shows and by putting it into two parts, but only about a month apart uh, from each other, you were able to kind of, have people be able to be talking about part one and be ready for part two together more Mm -hmm. seamlessly than you had been before with their shows. And of course, I mean, season five will not be coming out, of course, until I believe 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we have plenty of time, uh, not quite as long as we did the last time. Uh, Let's hope there are no, you know, major uh, <laughs> uh, things that get in the way of them completing this season, um, this next season. But I, I thought that this was a great way to be able to just pick right back up where you left off. And it made sense to me that they did that. Um, and I also, you know, I, I loved it too, because there were a lot of answers that had come at the end of part one, but mm-hmm. then part two does a great job, I think, of picking up and giving us everything we need to then go on this journey of trying to stop Vankna um, uh, once mm-hmm. and for all, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think helping us completely understand, obviously, I feel, feel like it was pretty obvious for the most part, but, you know, you're creating these gates, which is allow him to uh, invade our world. And, and I think setting us on this track of, you know, then Max coming up with this plan of how to stop him, which I think is, you know, for me, that part was kind of terrifying because we've seen this villain to be quite a bit stronger and different and more devious than all of the other villains that we've seen so far. And kind of learning that he's the one who has really been in control of all of them made that idea of her kind of offering herself as the sacrificial lamb. Um, I mean, that's not the intention that she'll die, of course, but that she would be the bait mm-hmm. uh, was was really terrifying. I mean, in all honesty, I felt like one of the scary. I know though the show was uh, more horror driven here in the in this season of season four altogether but to me that was one of the things that made this even more terrifying so right and i'm sure partially too because in this season max has gotten much more of a role in the story than she ever did before and so you really become much more attached to her as a character so it's like this season it's not just all about 11 it's now also I would say every bit as much like 50, 50, 11 and Max's stories. Um, And I like that they give Max this ability to really show more of how she was affected by losing her brother, even though he was abusive and not the best person um, that it still was her family 
um, and that he wasn't always bad to her. Um, mm-hmm. And then to her um, then learning how to deal with trauma better and reconnect with Lucas, I thought mm-hmm. was huge, yep. especially in this yeah. part. Um, so yeah, you do, you really get attached to her and see the goodness in her and see the heroism in her for offering mm-hmm. to be the bait. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I think you're right on track. It, I think this season really, uh, it was interesting because I don't, I don't know if anybody expected to have Max be at the forefront of the show in the way yeah. that, that she becomes. And I think she, in in a lot of ways, it becomes more the pivotal character to season four. Uh, almost even, I feel like, than Eleven in some ways because we're really just following her emotional journey and I feel so connected with it. Um, Mm -hmm. that I think this is another reason why I really appreciate them just kind of picking up right where they left off because that emotional journey is not one that you want really any disruption in. You really do Mm -hmm. want to, you know, feel like you're on the same train you were on before, really. Um, And so I I love it. And uh, I just, to me that story and her story is also the one that just leaves you so devastated by the end of course um and um you know the wish and the prayer of of how they'll you know hopefully bring her back fully um you know they they started that process and so hopefully we get it finished (laughs) so yeah uh, because if we don't i think there will be a lot of mad people um and and which leads me to a question. And so this did, wasn't even on the outline, but it was something that I read that Millie Bobby Brown uh, thought there should be more deaths, basically, uh, hmm. in this series so far. And the Duffer brothers completely disagreed with her. And I just wanted to ask you about that because Max is the one in limbo here. And we will talk about later um, some, I guess maybe even now we could talk about, you know, Eddie making the ultimate sacrifice. We've had some people do that, right? Or uh, Yeah. Are you thankful that this kind of follows more the Lucasian, you know, like George Lucas being very much against just killing people on purpose or willy-nilly um, in his films? And the Duffer brothers seem to be on that same train as well in the sense that it's not about people dying. It's about the journey we take with these characters and what they learn. And you don't have to kill a character for them to really truly mean something. I personally mm-hmm. agree with that, but I'm wondering how you feel, especially since, you know, we did lose Eddie and Max is basically in purgatory. Yeah. You and I are definitely on the same page with that. Um, I, I think that if you're going to kill a character off, it has to be sp- for a specific reason to drive the story for the rest of the characters. Then after that, and exactly like you said, not to just be killing them off when it's a character that meant a lot to people and was integral to the story up until now, um, to kill them off for no reason would feel like a disservice to the fans and you don't want to do that. And so, and, Mm -hmm. and I will say too, to be honest, like if you compare the experience of the Duffer brothers versus Millie Bobby Brown, obviously she doesn't have the experience that they do. So I would say, you know, take her 
ideas with a big grain of salt. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, like, obviously, people should be able to voice their ideas, but I, I would disagree with that. I think the mm-hmm. only one that I would have thought, and we talked about this in the previous episode about the first part of this, the season, um, I thought possibly they should have left Hopper dead. But I will say that the way that they've brought Hopper back, I do feel like maybe it was okay that he wasn't. Um, It's been nice seeing the way that they've used him in this season, but I think that it also would have been hard to have a second person in Joyce's life die in the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, when it comes to the idea of deaths and... and, um... I am definitely not a person who I, I'm definitely much, I'm just much more on the Lucas side in this that, you know, I don't want my characters, my favorite characters dying and and not that it can't happen. Right. Um, you know, I mean, Yoda dies, Obi-Wan dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for those was specifically story driven. Right. right. Um, and, and so, um, and I think, you know, you kind of get that here with, you know, Eddie's sacrifice, you know, this being story driven. It's about kind of bringing that character to conclusion in the sense that, you know, he finally gets to do something that feels worthy for him. You know, that right. he finally gets to live up to this potential that he's never really been able to live up to in the sense that he's not been able to get through school. You know, he still hasn't finished high school. Um, and yet he kind of gets to live out the reality of, of being the D and D master. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's really kind of, again, there's a story reason for that happening. And I, and I think too, you know, it seems like very much when we're talking about like the idea of Max and her sacrifice and, and you know, how she'll come back, you know, all of that seems to be very story driven as well, because it's about her journey and being on a journey of, of coming to terms with, you know, uh, who she is and um, her feelings about her brother and all that she's been through just in life in general. And hopefully, you know, coming out the other side better and stronger and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's always interesting to me, the idea of, of deaths and, and stories and sometimes they really work and are really important. Um, but I don't know if they're, a lot of times I feel like these days it's just like, oh, we just kill a character to kill a character, um, you know, and try and get a remote emotional reaction out of you. And so a lot of times I feel like it's false just because, you know, you haven't spent enough time with that character to even really care, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, um, well, I, which is where, again, I think like this season specifically with Max, it was like, it was like somebody stuck a knife in your heart and then twisted it. You know, the thought that she might be gone for good Oh yeah, um, because this season was so much about like, I think you kind of falling in love with that character. Mm-hmm. So, and one more thing I just wanted to add to that conversation as well about character deaths, it, you have to also think about what kind of story you're trying to tell. You know, there's stories like Game of Thrones where the whole thing is about subverting your expectations from the very beginning. You fall in love with Ned Stark and then they're like, oh, no, 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 he's not the focus of the story. He's dying. 
forget about him. And then, you know, it's like every character you then have a favorite of gets killed off over and over again in Game of Thrones because that's the whole point. They're trying to say that it's all a game to them. It's all about greed and power and things like that. And that there is no great hero in that story. They're all um, shades of gray. Whereas this story is not like that, you know, and so I think you then can't treat your characters that way. That's that's absolutely a great point, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's definitely the the Martin way of telling a story, you Mm -hmm. know, is to kind of make you love a character and then kill them. Um, And but that doesn't necessarily work and you're 100 percent right for every story. And so, you know, here I think. This, because this story is so rooted in the 80s and the 80s sensibilities, I think that that more lends itself to being a place uh, to there not being a lot of unnecessary deaths or people just dying all over the place because that's not how 80s films were, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um most of the time people lived, you know, I think the star Wars films are the perfect example of that. Um, the Indiana Jones films, perfect example of that. Uh, and so I, I think, um, that being where these, this, you know, series is rooted. I think that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, well, another thing that obviously, you know, the first episode here really focuses on Papa and 11. Um, and we get, I think even more nuanced to the character of Papa and their relationship. Um, but I was really struck by how much this feels like the empire strikes back. Um, if Yoda had tried to force Luke to stay instead of allowing him to just leave. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because he does think she needs more training. Um, and then of course, you know, he dies in the end saving her life. Um, and so how did you feel about, I guess that kind of resolution to that story and, and the way it ends where, you know, it almost felt, it almost felt like they had made him a slightly more virtuous character when they gave more explanation to him. And here I felt like this leads, leaves him ambiguous again. Yeah. I think the entire time they're pulling you back and forth to thinking for a minute from his behavior oh, maybe he does have her best interest at heart. You know, he thinks she needs to become stronger before she's ready to face Vecna and try to fix this problem because he thinks she's the only only one who can. Um, But then there are things that he does as well where, you know, he, um, she finds out that he has taken the other scientist hostage and then when she's not complying, injects her against her will to sedate mm-hmm. her, you know. Yep. And so then there's these things that make you feel more ambiguous about him again. It, like possibly he is not a virtuous character and only mm-hmm. has his own interests at heart. Um, and so I I felt like that way the entire time that there were times I thought, oh, OK, well, maybe he's a good guy and he does actually feel like she's like a daughter to him and wants to protect her and stuff. And then there were times that I'm going, "Ooh, he is sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I like that they show that gray area as well about what even he and Eleven think of each other when he's dying. And he says, right. 
I need you to understand. And she just doesn't say anything except goodbye, Papa. Yeah. And so it's like it breaks your heart, but then you also get why she feels that way and is not going Mm -hmm. to give him that one last piece of gratification. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you on that. I I think um, it is a really interesting thing to have their relationship be one that does end kind of ambiguously. Um, And it makes it does make me wonder uh, if it will be something to which, you know, she would have a different reaction to in the future, you know, Um, but I don't know. And I I just think that's something that is is really fascinating to have, um, you know, because she has such a complicated relationship with him, right? And mm-hmm. I, I thought one of the most interesting things about it was is that, I, you know, in, in many ways, I feel like, you know, Papa doesn't, Papa got a point, you know, in some ways, in the sense that <laughs> this does become a thing where uh, the, the, the series feels like, to me, very much like, Empire Strikes Pack and Return of the Jedi, but if you knew you were going to make a sequel to that, because, yeah. you know, what she does seems to have defeated Vankna, and then at the same time, no, he's not gone. And that creates that really interesting conundrum, right? Of, um, you know, if she had... St- Stayed and trade. I mean, would that have changed things? We don't know, right? Because right. that's not how the story goes. But I just think it makes for a really interesting question of of, and it makes it a, a lot more ambiguous as in the sense of like, is is Papa really um, wrong in wanting her to train more so that she is as strong and and as fully ready as she possibly can be? Uh. And right now she's just not, you know, um, and mm-hmm. so I don't know that to me, that was fascinating. So, oh, definitely. I mean, I I think that the only thing that's missing on his side, though, was he's thinking 11 alone is the only one capable of stopping Vecna or one sure. or Henry. <laughs> A.K.A. Henry, A.K.A. number one. Whoever it is, yes. (laughs) Um, But he is not giving her friends and family any credit at all or Mm -hmm. contemplating the rogue nature that they are willing to go to to band together and defeat something. Mm -hmm. So he could be wrong. You know, I mean, it may not just be Eleven on her own needing to be powerful enough. It could be that they end up defeating him together the way that they've been doing. No, that's, I mean, that's an excellent point. And I think that's something that is is just so, um, it's it's one of those things where, um, again, you're playing with the tropes of the Star Wars trilogy in the sense of, you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan do feel very uh, much in line with one another that there's no hope for Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, what we see is that, that Luke has another way, right? And with that, um, him 
making the choice that he does creates a, a just a different opportunity for the story to turn out in a way that those two didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of where this story obviously um, brings itself in that we don't know yet, you know, uh, because we actually, again, we're in this place where we've, we did the Empire Strikes Back and the Return of the Jedi, but we, we already know we're making another one. And so, um, which, you know, we'll talk about, I think I'll, I'd probably talk about a little bit later, but how that, you know, uh, plays into everything and, and, um, you know, how I necessarily I feel, I guess, about the idea of um, whether or not we needed another season. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, I, I loved the idea um, of digging further into their relationship and um, creating this kind of, again, ambiguity at the end. Um, Did you also like the name of the training facility? Nina? Uh, that was that was pretty <laughs> funny. So um, yeah, I love that they had. Um, I love that they had that kind of stuff. I think the whole, I just you know the 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 show is just replete with great ideas. I, I think that's the mm-hmm. thing um, that I was talking to a friend of ours, John Mills, um, just about this. And you know, one of the things is you know Stranger Things to. Uh, it, it always challenges in the, in the sense that like, you're, how are they going to follow that up? And then they do. Um, and it creates something like just really interesting, um, which, you know, I, I think the piggyback idea that we are going to have Max be able to fight Venkna in her mind, but Eleven is going to piggyback with her in the void so that she can help Max find a safe place to to stay away from Venkna while the rest of them try and conquer Venkna in the Upside Down, um, which was pretty cool. Um, And I thought was a really great way of utilizing a lot of the things that they have kind of built in the other seasons, and then they just start using them all in ways that you might not have thought of before. Right. And I'm, and what a way to problem solve. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little complicated and it could have gone awry a million different ways trying to put this together as the way that Eleven helps, but is a really cool way to solve the problem of them not being able to physically get to Max in time, but Eleven still be able to be a part of it and try to protect Max and her friends. Um and like you said, use that idea of the, um, what is it? The desensitization tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, uh, a sensory deprivation tank. There we yeah. go. Yep. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> um, and it's so cute the way that they then tied that in now with the new character of Argyle and it being a pizza dough freezer. And then of course he has to make a pizza. Um, and getting to bring the core group together again, where you've got Eleven, Mike, and Will. 
and then getting to see Will and Jonathan back together, you know, brothers that seem to constantly be apart, getting to kind of reconnect as well. So, yeah, I, I love that they somehow came up with this complicated way of fixing this problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and what was great about it, you know, is that you allow the teams to be able to work together in these three different areas, which is, right. again, this is legitimately the end of Return of the Jedi, where you have three different groups all working together towards the same goal in different ways, right? right? You've yeah. got Luke, the Vader, and the Emperor. You've got uh, Han Solo and Leia down on the planet. And then you've got the space battle happening with Lando and the rest of them. And yep. so all of that is working together to try to accomplish one goal. And that's exactly what they're doing here, which makes for such a great... Um, it's just a good way of telling a story, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially in something like this is at the end. And so I really, really appreciate that. Um, and I thought they did a great job with it. Um, and I love that every single one of them has to work together. And, it, and this is where the storyline of meanwhile in the USSR, you mm-hmm. know, so back in the USSR as <laughs> um, the Beatles would say, uh, you know, Joyce and Murray and Hopper and Yuri and Antonov, um, you know, their story actually really means something because what they're going to do with the the um, demigorgons that remain there because they are all connected to everything in the upside down they can actually make an influence on what's happening as well which i really appreciated because as much as i was enjoying that story it did feel a little bit disconnected from everything else and i felt like they really brought it back here to really make it mean something which was great so right and tying it together with the particles that joyce keeps mentioning they're a an extension of vecna and so then it's like this new additional threat on top of just having the Demogorgons that um, the Russians had been keeping a cell full of these particles that then get loose and give the Demogorgons even more power and become joined with the hive mind and with Vecna. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was something that was... um you know, kind of, uh, I thought was a great in the sense that it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, you're not expecting that to happen at all. Um, and I really appreciated that. I thought that was really well done. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I also really appreciated, you know, you kind of mentioned the idea of like, uh, Hopper dying again and whether Joyce should, you know, lose somebody in her life and everything. And, um, I am completely against that idea, and I'm really glad that didn't happen. Um, I, I love. I, I feel like you know she's had enough uh, in her life. It's gone horrible, um, mm-hmm. and I just appreciate that we're we're allowing her to have some semblance of happiness. And and I think to me, you know, that's just a part of uh, this type of of, of sh- show in many ways um mm-hmm. is well, that that that's the kind of i guess that's the kind of story we're telling um you know there are again there's going to be some deaths we're going to have some people die um but i, I don't know I, I feel like 
Joyce specifically has just been somebody who's been put upon enough. And so I was glad that she got Hopper back and like that they are, you know, um, happy in some ways for about five seconds before, you know, they realize that everything is uh, going horribly wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So. Well, and you get sort of a wish fulfillment basically of, you know, maybe Joyce obviously lost Hop, um, not Hopper, um, Bob, and didn't get to be with him. But now you are getting to see the fantasy of Joyce living happily ever after with someone mm-hmm. finally coming to fruition a little bit more. Um, right. And it fits well that it is Hopper because he was also kind of always around. In, yes. Dur- yeah. You know, during her relationship with Bob. Um, and then she and he really bonded over both having teenage kids because Eleven was like his kid. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So they understand each other in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And they both work so well together as well because they're both very stubborn and passionate people. And, you know, I, I do have to give a shout out to the scene of just the two of them in the, you know, um, building in Russia where... You know, things get a little heated for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Because I thought that was yeah. If you think about it, they've never actually gotten that opportunity till now, and then darn it, they get yep. interrupted by the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh, no, I agree with you. Um, I, I just I, I think the thing is is really it's great to have them uh, together. Um, I, I just yeah. love them together. I love their relationship. You know. Uh, I think they're uh, a, a a great couple, um, and um, I, again, I think the biggest thing for me on that was I'm just really glad that that storyline really came together in a way that fit with what we were doing on the other side of the world, um, and I think right. they did a really good job of of making that work. Um, so, um. I had a question for you because, you know, we we had talked about actually the idea of the relationship between um between Nancy and Steve and kind of where we we're going with that and, you know, the the idea of you know, you have this kind of back and forth between Nancy and Steve um and Jonathan and I don't know wh- where do you fall in this? Are, are are you are you in a place where have they done enough where you would kind of like to see Nancy and and Steve find their way back together? Do you feel like uh, they're uh, trying to get us to a place where um, you know? Uh, Jonathan and Nancy will find a way to kind of come back to each other more honestly and openly. Where are you in that? Because that, to me, that seems like a really interesting love triangle question that they have raised again. Mm -hmm. So, Well, I will say what I would like to happen is I do think that Nancy and Steve should get back together. Because if you look at it from a perspective of anybody's real life relationships in that time of their life. You know, you're young, you make mistakes. 
Um, you know, and maybe Nancy is realizing now that at the time she thought maybe she wanted to be with Jonathan more. Um, and they did have that, you know, also shared trauma and things, but that Jonathan is still really plagued by all of the stuff going on with his family and, um, doesn't seem to really be reciprocating anymore. You know, I mean, it, I, that's why I like that whole scene with him and Argyle and him saying, Argyle saying, you know, you're making me frustrated and she's not even my girlfriend. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yes. Because he was just going to go off to some other school and not tell her. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I feel like now Steve has matured more and really found a best friend in Robin and been able to help her through things. And now he knows how to be a better person in a relationship than he would have before yeah like he's making you know marriage proposal basically to nancy saying you know i dreamed about having six little harringtons and driving in an rv across the country and stuff and she's like wow that sounds nice and then later he's like and you were the mom (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i mean i I'm right there with you. What's really interesting is that, you know, when when we started the show um, and the relationship between, you know, Steve and Nancy, we had this thing where, where Steve was kind of the child in the relationship mm-hmm. and Nancy was actually more adult. And what we came to and what we've come and, and then because of that, she actually gravitated towards Jonathan who, who had been much more of the adult. Right. Right. Um, and I think the thing that is really interesting is that throughout all of this, you know, we've kind of, and I think it makes sense because Jonathan in many ways has, has, um, you know, he's spent his life having to be an adult and never actually been able to be a child. Uh, and he has now kind of, because his mom had been in a more good place, you know, um, he's kind of used this to revert back to basically being a, you know, a teenager in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Um, and whereas Steve has really kind of leaned into learning to become more of an adult, even against his better nature, you know, or like uh, mm-hmm. or his, his his baser nature, I should say. Um, you know, he like you said, he's become somebody who has been more caring of other people. You know, um, he doesn't lean in. He doesn't care anymore about being cool. You know, he doesn't yeah. care anymore about um, the. Uh, just he's he's above all that kind of stuff now right like he has a best friend that's gay and then he has another best friend that's uh you know still a little kid basically (laughs) in many ways like he's in high school now but still um you know i i think there's just something um kind of special about uh that um and the way that they've grown that character in a way that we didn't expect and so Mm -hmm. in all that I find myself to be where you are in the sense that I I think that actually Steve and 
Nancy are the better couple together. Um, I just think he's he's he uh, he's what like she deserves better. And and I what's interesting is I wouldn't have thought that I think um, previously. I think the other thing about this is that uh, this the character of Nancy really grew this year. Oh yeah. Um, and became a character to which I actually liked more. She kind of become a character to which I didn't love. Um, and now I actually like her quite a bit. Um, I think she's really come into her own as well. And so I thought that was great. Um, and um, was just uh, nice to see. Um, and so one one last question uh, before we kind of like talk about there being another season and everything. Mm-hmm. Um I, how did you feel about the story with you know the the basketball team and you know their kind of role in this and then of course um the idea of you know Lucas figuring out no he doesn't want to be the cool kid um did that pay off for you enough um that their story, like the addition of their story was worth it? Uh, it's tough because I could see where they're trying to go with it, but I don't think that it gave the payoff that you want because it doesn't really feel like it gets resolved and these characters see the error of their ways. It just feels like it kind of, you know, works out okay for the victims of their abuse. Um, but I wish that they did get more resolution to actually, you know, being told off and told that, I mean, sort of they're going in for the eye for an eye way of doing things and assuming that someone from their school killed these people, one of them's girlfriend, and then going to go and kill them. I mean, that's what they're insinuating with the music and the tone and the you know practicing um shooting and things like that and it a lot of times too it feels like it just gives a bad name to people in general that might be similar i would say maybe like you know you know what i mean like saying like people from the south for example or people that are um the popular crowd or assumed the wrong thing in the past about people that were into D and D, you know, this definitely is a representation of the whole phenomenon in the eighties called the satanic panic where, you know, it stemmed from a lot of things, but basically that dungeons and dragons was like a gateway to sinful behavior. Right. Um, when it's just a game of make believe, but there's always going to be people on the religious side that feel that that is indulging in Satan worship or witchcraft or, you know, leaning that direction or whatever. Um, but it, it does sometimes feel really uncomfortable in a bad way, I think, in the show. No, I think you're actually onto something, Christy, because, you know, obviously this is playing into that idea of, you know, what had happened in the 80s specifically. Um, but I, I think this is uh, far reaching implications into how our world just operates today. 
in the idea that mm-hmm. we jump to conclusions about things. The mob um, mentality. We yeah, we jump to conclusions about who's responsible with very little to no information, right? Just circumstantial information. Uh, and then we treat that as fact. And that's exactly what I think this does a great job of representing, right? We only have we only have circumstantial information here in this in this season that Eddie is anyway linked right and and people immediately jump to that as being the gospel truth right and that's exactly what we see that people are are uh judge jury and executed by the mob known as social media these days uh, because we think we have the info and then if you just wait like about a week the true info comes out but yeah. their reputation is already tarnished. Everything is already. I mean, you know, you you think of, I think a good example is the things you know we saw, of course, with uh, the the whole Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial thing. Like people immediately jumped to conclusions. They thought they knew what happened, and what the truth was is that it was a lot messier. Oh yeah, like super messy, right? And I'm not on one side or the other. All I'm saying is, is that there's no clear-cut good or bad guy in that situation if you ask me they're both yeah. terrible people in mm-hmm. all in all honesty but we judged one more harshly we executed them and we excommunicated them basically in 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 social society without actually knowing the truth of what happened mm-hmm. because in the end right the truth matters mm-hmm. and it's not just your truth or my truth but it's actually the truth and and the truth was is that Eddie had nothing to do with what happened to her um he was it present. Was that was it. He was present. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But this is Fankness' fault. Right. Um, and so 100% agree with you. I think that's absolutely um, a really important point. And it's one of the best points of the show in the sense of, of it really kind of showing us as the audience today a reflection of actually what we do all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe hopefully a way in which we can check ourselves um, before we... Yes, we wreck ourselves. I'm <laughs> Thank go you. There. So you're welcome. <laughs> you didn't say it, I would. So, exactly. And then I just want to add to that because I was waiting for the moment to bring this up, but I think the best scene of part two altogether total was the most metal concert ever. Eddie mm-hmm. standing up on top of the trailer in the upside down, shredding on the guitar to Metallica, no less, while the, you know, sky is flashing red and the bats are on their way and Dustin is rocking out beside him. It, oh, it was such a good scene. And I've seen that now in tons of different t-shirt prints and I want them all. <laughs> and I downloaded yeah, no, that it song. It was great. It was great. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, their their use of music here in this show is is fantastic, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's not surprising um, that it's gone over so well. And 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 the 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 best part about it is it's just reminding people is that you know the eighties was full of great music, um, and so mm-hmm. uh, there's so much to pull from. I one one last question I had for you was. Uh, I personally wasn't aware. I, apparently, I live under a rock, which um, you know, it's really nice in here. It's uh, it's good because it's it's warm. It's it's been hot mm-hmm. uh, recently here, and uh, so anyway, uh, and under my rock, I did not realize that uh, we were going to be getting a another season of this show. So when we got to the end of this, I was like, "Are you? Are, there's a what? 
So I was just completely shocked and thrown for a loop. And so I want to ask you, do you feel like this would have been better ended here? Uh, In the sense that there is a way you make this the final season. Max is fine because she's brought back to life and those kind of things. You or are you glad that we're, you know, going to get one more season of the show? Well, I was apparently under another rock in a different location because I didn't know either till we got to the end of this mm. part two. But it was a great surprise. Um, I I will say in terms of story, I always wonder if they're going to be able to do it justice if they do another season. And yeah. so far, yep. they've exceeded my expectations every time mm-hmm. that they've done another season. So right. it's there's that hesitance there where I'm like, ah, I don't think you need it if they if they had ended this one a little differently and had the upside down become closed. Um, but then again, there's plenty of things show wise or movie wise where they leave it open ended like this and you're just mm-hmm. left to come up with your own interpretation of how it ends. Yeah, I, but, I mean, I I agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean that it's like you're not I sure do. if you want another season. Yeah, but you also um, love Stranger Things and you want more. <laughs> so, what I am the place that I'm in is that I, I'm going to reference the sequel trilogy again, but this, like, you had the perfect way to end this and it be done and it be really rewarding, mm-hmm. and yet we're going to continue. So I'm just hoping that the ideas that they have are better than that um, because uh, this really did have the place where you could have had the perfect ending. Yeah. But we're not going to do that perfect ending. And so let's just hope there is a perfect ending to this because it does feel a little bit like, you know, we're we're, we're pushing the boundaries – and and that every time you continue with another season, there's always a bigger risk that you're taking that it could kind of mess up what you had. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the place where this could have been kind of a perfect ending, uh, I, I it sounds as though the Duffer brothers know exactly where the show ends. And so season five is about them kind of filling that in to get there. Mm-hmm. Um they, they've they've said that they know that, which is really good. I'm really glad that they know that, and so that gives me hope then. But I will. I'm not going to lie and say that I'm not trepidatious about whether or not this was the best call. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. In the end, uh, I'm really interested for you. Where did you end up with your rating then for part two of Stranger Things four? So. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five X-shaped guitars because it just had so much amazing content in this um, second part of season four. Um, I think, you know, there are a couple of minor things that I would have changed to make it perfect. Um, So I'm not giving it a full five, but I really thoroughly enjoyed the fun parts felt like the story was done Mm -hmm. um justice with 
handling things like the Hopper and Joyce storyline and things like that. And then really um, giving Max so much to do, like we said. And I think the most heart-wrenching moments as well were Eddie's death and Max's possible, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with her. But the scene of Lucas holding her in his arms and her saying, I can't see. Oh, my gosh. Ripped my heart out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But then you want things like that in a show to make you care. So I I was thoroughly impressed. And I hope that season five is um, does this justice. What about you? I I mean, this very thankful that this season continued what they had started in part one. I thought they did a, a pretty fantastic job of crafting a really good season that you know, um, I'm not quite sure that I I wanted more after, um, but now that I know that we're getting more, I'm really interested to see where we're going to go and how we are going to wrap all of this up. Um, and that is because this show has just been so great um, this season, and I have very few complaints about it. Uh, about what I thought they did and how they did it with the characters, and like you said. You know, really making us care about these characters, especially uh, someone like Max, to the point where, you know, you are kind of gut punched when she dies or quote unquote dies. And, and, you know, the idea of her being brought back and you're just hoping she gets to come back fully. Like, that's all you want because you have been made to care about this character so substantially uh, throughout a season like this. And so I. The, the 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 and the thing about this is and it goes all the way back to when we talked about the very first season this show has been so well cast and and that's why you care it's because mm-hmm. you care about these characters because the every one of the of the cast is just so good and so i love it um i'm 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 a huge fan i'd say for I'm right there with you. I'd say I give this four and a half out of five um, Venkna explosions uh, because it was really, really phenomenal. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. And I hope that season five will deliver the end that we all want it to be. Uh, and so, uh, well, Christy, um, before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you uh, if they want to catch up with you. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And uh, actually, we completed our run of Sabres and Spells officially. I will announce to everybody now, um, we decided to close that podcast. I've been saying for a long time, we've been meaning to do more. And it's just, <laughs> life is different now, you know? Um, Amanda's yeah. having a baby. So, and Teresa and I have changed too. So, you know, I think that we're going to maybe find some other ways to do more fandom conversations together, um, maybe nice. a different format. But um, yeah, so check me out at Bespin Bell and uh, where can everyone find you? Yeah, uh, of course, you could find me all over social media under Matt Rushing 2 which is Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all those type of places. Uh, you can also find me 
uh, here on the network with a bunch of other shows outside of the 602 Club. We've got Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is called... Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then you also find me with Aggressive Negotiations and John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 